All right, man, it is amazing to be here this morning. I always seem to have issues with mics every time I speak, everywhere I go. So I'm glad to see everything is running as usual. Um, Again, so my name is Patrick Wallace, and I have the privilege, alongside my beautiful wife, Samantha, of serving at Exalt Church with our hyperthrive student ministry. So that's grades 6 through 12. And so I want to take a moment, for one, to shout out to all of our teens in the house today and say we have got a remarkable group of young men and women that, that, that are here together and have been a blessing. And the second thing I want to do is say thank you to all of our parents and grandparents and guardians because we realize that the way you are pouring out into them at home is why we see such an amazingly strong, faithful, young group of young men and women. So thank you for the hard work that you're putting in at home and also for allowing us the opportunity to partner with you in this ministry capacity. So Roger... Uh, Pate, Pastor Roger Pate, he is our usual preacher. He is the lead, uh, the lead pastor here at Exalt Church, and he's out of town this weekend, so he's asked if I would bring the message to you today. Um, so on that note, I want to say two things. One, we are so grateful that you're here. I am thrilled to see all of your beautiful, smiling faces, and it is an encouragement to be here every week after week um, and get to know you more. And then second is, if you've never heard Pastor Roger preach, and this is your first time with us, welcome and thank you for being here this morning, but also please come back next weekend. He is a powerful, gifted preacher, and he has a heart for God, and you'll be blessed if you come back next weekend and hear him speak. Um, But today I want to talk to you about what I call the God-powered life, and I think that it is, and, and if you listen to our praise and worship songs and while they're playing, Um, You hear all scattered all throughout the praise and worship songs, hints and praises about what it means to live the God-powered life. And so when I'm singing and praising and worshiping, I'm trying to get past it just being words and just going into autopilot. But really think about what am I saying when I'm saying these words and what does it mean when I am praising God and how does that play out in a daily routine in my own life. I try to really think about those things because the God-powered life, it is the greatest, the most rewarding, and the most satisfying experience or life that you could find on planet Earth. There is nothing comes close. So before I talk about that, uh, let's look at the scripture that we'll be focusing on today that we get our inspiration from for the God-powered life. So we're going to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And they read like this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Man, that is a phenomenal piece of scripture packed with so much power and so many wonderful benefits. 
So first, I just want to address what exactly is a godly life? Because you can see throughout Scripture where it talks about what it means to be godly, and, and it speaks often in the New Testament about godliness. But there's never a specific Exam, a, specific, a specific definition. Instead, what we see um, are various ways that it talks about what it means. So what I've done is I've given it my best shot to give a definition to what it means based off scripture to be a godly person or live a God-powered life. And that is when a life is transformed by God's grace, by God's love, and by God's power. And what it results in is a lifestyle that is centered on who God is, and it reflects God's character through our attitudes and our actions. That's a wonderful thing, because what that means is, is that every day when I get out of bed, the greatest influence in my life is the love and the grace and the power of God. So when I'm making decisions for the day of how my relationships are going to go, by the way I'm going to treat my family, by the way I will treat my coworkers or my schoolmates or the people that I see out in public, first and foremost, the priority on my mind is who God is and the way God is in the world so that that's happening in my own life. I think everybody could admit that we've had moments in our life where we would look back and say, that was a life-changing moment. I remember the day that that happened, and I knew from then on that I was never going to be the same. And so really, when you, come into, uh, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you encounter the living God, what happens is you know immediately, man, something major has just moved into my life. And I know for a fact I am never going to be the same after this. And you even start to think, I never want to go back to the way things used to be before I knew Jesus this way. And I think it's really remarkable how this works in our lives. We see how it works. If you look at verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So you have this godly life that is filled with all of these good fruits and is a blessing to all of the people in their life. And it's, it's the unparalleled, most free life in existence and on earth, right? And here's what gets me excited. It all happens by God's divine power. So what that means is, is that there's no one person who is a godly person that could say, I get the credit for this. I'm this way because I'm talented. Or I'm this way because that's part of my personality. So nobody can take credit or brag for being a godly person, and it doesn't matter what your personality type is. You could be an introvert who's shy, or you could be proud and bold and loud, and everyone can be godly because we depend on a source outside of ourselves. It's not found within our own ability. We need something greater that is outside of us, and God is the only one qualified with that kind of power to do what needs to be done. And the good news is he's generous with it. And why I love that is, is because it means that the greatest life on planet earth is possible to have and to live no matter what your age, no matter your culture, no matter your background or nationality. It doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter your social standing in life. Everyone can come to have a godly life and enjoy it because it happens by God's power. And it says his divine power. 
So what I think of when I see his divine power is this. I think of the power that God, in the beginning, he spoke, and the earth formed, and the waters, and the mountains, and the universe was set into order, and all of the stars knew their place. And then he spoke to the dirt, and he formed with the dirt his hands, creating the first living beings, and speaking with, breathing with his power, and through their nostrils, life into them. The same power that God used when he divided the Red Sea so that Israel could escape their Egyptian oppressors. That same power when Jesus healed lepers and raised dead bodies back to life. The same power when Jesus laid himself down in the grave and three days later the power that gave life back to his physical body. That power is now something that I've not only read about and not only heard about. That power is something that we can say, I personally know that. God's power has moved in to my heart doing something that only God can do. He's taken my dead, spiritually dead heart that was distant from God and ignorant of God, sometimes even uh, hateful towards God. And he's taken that heart and he's done something, a miracle, one of the most beautiful miracles that happens in our day. He takes that heart and replaces it with a heart that is sensitive to God, fully alive and aware of who God is and able to live life and operate in modes with a consciousness of God's presence. That is a remarkable gift and it is so enjoyable. A godly life, I just want to say, is a fruit. It's actually a fruit of knowing God. It's not a process or a method or behavior modification. It is evidence that God's power has moved into our lives and become a very personal, familiar experience. And so who does it work for? Who can, in, who can say that, yes, I am a godly person? Well, look at the second part of 2 Peter 1, verse 3. It says, through our knowledge of him who called us. So everyone who knows God can be a godly person. We don't have to have a degree in seminary and divinity. We don't have to be religious and we don't have to memorize the entire Bible. You don't have to be a theologian or a scholar to be a godly person. Regular people like me can be a godly person because what we need is we need to know God. And that's simply all that is required to becoming a godly person. And how do we know God? What are the different ways that we see in the Bible and in people's lives that they come to know God? Well, first and foremost, we know God by believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So then the starting point would be the minute that I believe in Jesus Christ. That's when the power of God the power of the message of the cross moves into an ordinary dead heart like mine and transforms me, me and my heart into someone that can know God and enjoy him. See, because of Jesus Christ, it's actually not hard to be godly. It's hard not to be godly. Once you know Jesus Christ, it's hard not to get excited about who he is and live a life for him. It's almost, I would argue that it's impossible to do that. And then secondly, or also... There's other ways that we can grow to know God more, like prayer, praise, and worship. Every healthy relationship requires communication. 
So we talk to our wives, we talk to our friends, our coworkers, and if we know them well, it's because we've talked to them and we've also listened well. And so praising God and talking about how wonderful he is, worshiping him through our life and the way that we live, and also reading the Bible. See, I know when I pick up the Bible, me being just a very ordinary person, that I'm holding in my hand something that is just not any average book. This is a book unlike any other. I know that when I'm reading through those those pages, these aren't just words on paper. This is God's living, breathing word that has a, a way of coming out of that book and off of those pages and into my mind and my heart, and then I see it doing brilliantly beautiful things in my life and around me and blessing me. And being involved with the local church, or that's also known as the body of Christ. Everyone knows that who we hang around the most will influence the way we think, the way we talk, and the way we live. So if I surround myself with the local church, the body of Christ, then God is going to start speaking to me through your lives. And I'm going to see the way that you love God, and it's going to inspire and encourage my own life. And as a result, I'm going to come to know God even more close because of how you live your life. And also through serving others. Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to lay down his life and serve. So there's something about joining into the battle and and, and shouldering the burdens of other people. And walking with them in their struggles and their pains. And loving them that way. There's something about that, that there's no other way to learn a certain part of who Jesus is, an important part of who Jesus is, other than to experience it firsthand. It's a remarkable life. It comes with all kinds of highlighted benefits all throughout Scripture, way too many for me to name today. So the highlighted benefits that I'm going to focus on are the ones that I see in our Scripture, 2 Peter Chapter 1, 2 through 4. And if you look at uh, verse 2, you see this, that in the life of a godly person, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, this is an amazing thing, that a godly person is experiencing an abundance of grace in their life. So despite the fact that in this world there is an increasing attitude of hostility divisiveness, people being critical and judgmental and harsh towards each other. But yet, somehow, even with that happening, the life of a godly person, they're experiencing an overflow of grace in their life, a multiplication of grace in their life. And it's because a godly life is a life connected to Jesus Christ. So we are receiving from him And that's why you see verses like John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now hang on to that last part, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Because then verse 16 in John 1 reads like this, For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. Now hang on to the grace upon grace. So he is the one who is full of grace. We are receiving grace upon grace. Now Ephesians 2.8. For by grace 
You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So the way that I would summarize that is that a connection to Jesus Christ is spelled out in my life like this, that the one who is so full of grace that he is always full of grace, abundantly and overflowing from him by connection, I am always receiving. Every day we receive grace and more grace and more grace from Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the source of all grace. He is grace in its fullest realization. And he is the gift that God has given to mankind that tells us specifically what grace is. But there's two common attitudes I want to address briefly that I think are stumbling blocks for a godly person to enjoy more grace and see more grace in their life. I'm guilty of both. One is that we take grace for granted. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that says, man, I'm going to do everything that I want to when I desire it, and I don't care. I'll do anything I please because God died on the cross for me. That's not what I mean, because I've never met a person who has truly encountered Jesus Christ who thinks that way. See, when you find out who Jesus Christ is, yes, I'm still guilty of sin. Yes, I still stumble. But at the end of the day, I would never say and could never admit that, you know what, I really enjoy sin. In fact, Jesus Christ does something in your heart where you begin to see it for what it is, that it's robbing from you, and it's actually stealing joy and goodness out of your life. What I mean by taking it for granted is this. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, then you've grown familiar and comfortable with talk about grace and about Jesus on the cross. And then it sort of becomes routine. The honeymoon phase ends and the excitement wears off. And if we're being honest, we get, to a, a, we get bogged down, sort of settled in, in a way where we start to feel like it's really kind of boring and it's not exciting as, as, as exciting as it used to be. I think that that's a perspective problem. I've been there so many times in my life, and what I forget is that even on a daily basis, all that has to happen with God's power and grace, from your heartbeat to every breath, every action, every step, every living thing on the planet, and all of the stars in the universe are all being sustained by God's grace. And all that has to happen to make that happen means that you've never had an ordinary boring day in your life. And so if we could just remember to see by perspective who Jesus is as we swim through the pages of the Bible and look at how gloriously beautiful and amazing he is, I think that we'll get out of those routines that bog us down and remember our first love and can be excited again and live a life of passion. Now, the second one is this. We tend to underestimate grace. I have done this more times in my life than I care to admit. Underestimate grace. Here's what I mean by that. I'm going to use an example out of Scripture. Before I do, let me give a little background context. So Jesus is in the garden, and he's telling his disciples ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. They're going to come and arrest me, and they're going to kill me. And he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, you know what? You're going to disown me three times. Three times you're going to disown me tonight. And Peter, feeling like he is all sold out for Jesus He's feeling bold and encouraged, stands up, and in Matthew 26, 
verse 35, Peter says, you know what, Jesus? I would rather die than deny you. And then all the other disciples stand up and say the same. Yeah, that's right. God, we are down till death. We are going to ride until we die. We don't, we don't want anything else in this life other than that. And I believe they full-heartedly meant that when they said that. But only 20 verses later in Matthew 26, verse 55, only 20 verses later, they read like this. Then they all deserted him, every one of them. All of his disciples, when the guards showed up to take Jesus away, they all fled in a panic to save their own lives. So now you have the context that they haven't seen him since the last time that they said those words, but then acted totally opposite. And then they come, Jesus raises from the, uh, is, is killed on the cross, and then three days later he rises from the dead. And he sees a couple of believers and he says, hey, go round up my disciples and tell them to meet me at our spot. So they go and tell them, and they've, got, they've had the past three days to remember what they said versus what they did. And now as they're approaching Jesus and they see him for the first time since his body has been brought back to life, and in Matthew 28, verse 17, this is what it says. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So some of them were doubting. And you know, I don't believe that they doubted it was Jesus. They had just spent the past three years, sun up to sun down, under his teachings. I believe this is what they were doubting. They had enough time walking there to think, there is no way on God's green earth he is ever going to want me back. Not after what I did. And they replay in their mind over and over again, running away and looking back as Jesus goes, is hauled off to his death all by himself. But what is key to this is looking at verse 18. So Matthew 28 verse 18 reads like this, Then Jesus came to them. So Jesus comes to them and he says, All authority on earth and in heaven is now mine. And he says, go make disciples. You know what he was doing? He came to them to let them know, you are still mine. I know what happened, and I knew it before it would happen. But I want you to know something. You're doubting whether or not that I want you back. But Jesus is full of grace. And from him, we receive grace and more grace and more grace. And so Jesus was assuring them and saying, listen, there will be nothing, not even death, that will ever separate you from my grace and my love. And you may be here today feeling like, man, there is no way Jesus wants me. And there may be somebody here today thinking, I used to know him like that, but if you saw where I've been and what I've done, then I'm not so sure Jesus wants me back either. And I would just have you remember this verse and this situation in the Bible and look at how stunning Jesus is and how much grace he has. And remember this, that yes, absolutely, right now, where you're sitting, you can receive the grace of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait until tonight or tomorrow to start enjoying what it means to be a godly person. And it doesn't matter what your background or your history is. You can start right here, right now. All you have to simply do is believe it. Jesus, I believe in your grace and I believe in your power and the fact that you died for me. And the second part of grace and peace is peace. That there's an abundant peace in the life of a godly person. This benefit. 
Think about this, guys. The, the hostility, the turmoil, the pain, the trouble, the tragedy, the distress. When you turn on the news or just look out your front door or pick up the phone or look on social media. Peace is not something you see an abundance of in our world today. And yet this scripture talks that there is a people on earth who are enjoying an overflow of peace in their life. So let me give a little definition to that. It means not the type of peace that the world has where it depends on circumstances. That doesn't fit with the kind of peace that God gives. See, in my own life since I've become a Christian, I've had my fair share of disappointment, heartache, and distress. I've got many problems in my life on a daily basis, many of which I don't know the answers to. But what God does is something that the Bible calls is give us a peace that passes our understanding. It's a peace that even though I'm surrounded by chaos, and even though I look around and my life is filled with trouble, and even though things are hard, there's a confidence and an assurance deep down inside. So even though I start to get tempted to be distressed and anxious and assume the worst, I can fall back on this. I can remember, you know something? Jesus has my back, and Jesus is with me, and he is in control of everything. And I know that he has only good intentions for my life. And what that does is washes over me like peace, like a warm wave of peace that just calms me down and, and helps me to remember it's going to be okay. You know, four times in the New Testament, God is referred to as the God of peace. Jesus in Isaiah 9-6 is called the Prince of Peace. So it's no wonder that the scripture talks this way, that somebody who's connected to Jesus Christ is experiencing an abundance of peace in their life. There's a, uh, a scripture in Psalms. It's Psalms 131, verses 1 and 2. And I think that this paints a beautiful picture of what kind of peace we're dealing with here. Where it says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high, and I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And then it says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I'm a father. I've got three sons. It's one of the highlights of my life is being a father. Kids bring so much joy, animation, depth, color, um, what else, stress, <laughs> uh, big messes. And did I mention that it's loud all of the time? My house, pretty much on a, any given day, sounds like an elementary school recess. <laughs> or maybe like a herd of elephants is stampeding through the, down the hallway. But I love it. I love everything about being a parent. And I've seen this happen, what David is talking about in this psalm when he's describing this piece. I've seen it because I've seen through the years, I've seen every one of my sons as they climb up on the couch and they sit in their mama's lap and they just reach up, they grab her face, and they're just like, I love you. And she loves them. And, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, they don't want anything from her. They're not there because they want something. Like a baby needs milk. And a baby will cry for its mama for milk when they're older and they sit with their mom like that, it's not because they want something from her. They just simply want her. 
and they have no idea about the pressures of life. They don't know about the bills piled up on the kitchen table. They just simply know that everything's okay because I'm with mom and she loves me. I've seen that. You know, they got my mind to thinking about this. I started thinking, how often do I go to God with what I need and what I want? And I forget to take part in the greatest opportunity that he offers, and that is to just be a child sitting in my daddy's lap and enjoying his love and his presence and coming to him for nothing other than him. And more of you, God, as you just pour out your blessing and your love and your presence that somehow reminds me that even though there's all of these things, God, I'm not going to worry about them because I'm here with you and I know you're always with me. Samantha and I are interested in someday, hopefully, God willing, either fostering or adopting. So a number of years ago, we went to a uh, city certification class for how foster care works, and we took the classes. And we had the intentions of, let's learn about it and see if this is the right time in our life to do it. They would have these people come in that were foster parents for some years, and they would give us testimonies to let us know what to expect. This is what it's going to be like, and this is what you should expect coming into this. Um, And so there was this one testimony about this woman that had been there so long that her name was Granny. Everybody knew her as Granny because she had been there so long as a foster parent. And there was this boy that, as a young baby, lived in a house where he was never held or loved. So social services took him from the home, And as he got older, unfortunately, the foster homes that he went to, they didn't love him or interact with him. So he had never grown a connection with an adult in his life. And the way that would pour out of him as he got older is he would be boiling over with rage and frustration and hostility. And so foster family after foster family said, we we don't know how to handle this kid. He is out of control and he's dangerous. And they would send him back. Until one day when he was 10 years old and Granny heard about him. And Granny said, you, you bring that boy to me. Bring me that child. So they bring that child to Granny and she takes him home. And one day he's sitting there and he's about to boil over. And she sees it coming. The storm's coming. And she knows it. And as he's about to just express himself in anger and frustration, Granny does the only thing she knows to do. She swoops down and grabs that little 10-year-old boy in her arms, squeezes him with everything she has, and sits in a rocker chair and begins to hum into his ear. And at first, he, and he fights back. So Granny just determined to hang on, hangs on with all of her strength and all of her might as long as she can until she feels that little boy melt in her arms. As for the first time in his life, peace washed over his little body as he finally realized, this is what I've been missing, this is what I've needed all along. I needed someone to love me, to hold me, to let me know that I'm going to be okay. Now, I think that in so many ways, we can be just like that little boy. That we know something's not right in our life. We know something isn't adding up. Something's wrong. And we're frustrated and we're angry. And we don't know what exactly it is that we need. And I think all we simply need is to just let God scoop us up like granny and hold us in his arms and remember that God loves us unconditionally and that all we've ever needed was him and more of him. And there's another benefit, number two, 
that the godly life brings, an abundance of grace and peace. And also, it comes with what I see in verse 3. No, verse 4, I'm sorry. That through these, God's power and glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises. Now, why does that matter to think about those promises? Why is that important? Well, he's given us promises like this. Let me just give you a few examples. That in all things, God works together for good for those who love him, even when it looks like he's not. So when you're looking around and you're like, my life is falling apart, how could this work out for good? God works all things for good for those who love him. And also, we're receiving a kingdom. So in a day and age when things are so shaky and so uncertain, we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken. One day we will live in the presence of God in a place that will have no end. And that is great news in a world so temporary and so fickle to know that. And Jesus is with us always. Again, in Matthew 28, the same thing he said to his disciples as he restored them and reminded them, you belong to me. Jesus says, you're mine, and I am with you always. And also, everlasting life. So why is that important to think about those promises? Because the third benefit to being a godly person is that we have divine nature and freedom from sin. So through these great and precious promises, we see in 2 Peter 1.4 that it says, through these great and precious promises, you can participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So the divine nature being more like God, having freedom and peace and joy and kindness and abundance of grace in your life somehow becomes more of our nature than self-centeredness and brokenness. So our default is to be more like God and less like our old selves, right? Where does the power of the promises fit in? It's like this. One of the biggest obstacles that I see in this scripture to divine nature is this. Escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, right? If, I, if I'm being honest, listen, Satan is a real enemy. There's been times in my life where I've been overwhelmingly attacked by Satan and by hell. I'm certain of it. And only by the power of God and the grace of God did, did we come through it. But if I look back, most often in my own life, my greatest enemy to faith and fulfillment in God have been, and I can track it, I can look back and track, the times when I've wandered the furthest from God and my faith has been the coldest have also been the times in my life where I have tried to find happiness and joy and purpose and pleasure and satisfaction in something that wasn't Jesus Christ. So the times when I have been lured away, where old sins, habits, and addictions have come whispering in my ear and trying to lure me away with promises and swelling beautiful words of how much I will enjoy this life and how much better it was back then, 
when that comes, I need to remember something. And that's where these promises have power. Because when I remember that there is an eternity with God that is promised for me, when I remember that Jesus is with me always, that does something. That gets me thinking in terms of, you know something? This life is only temporary. There is not, this is not all that there is. In fact, I, there is so much more. This is not all that we get. And so then I don't have to be afraid that if I don't go there and do that, then I'm going to miss out on an opportunity for joy or pleasure or purpose because I've already got all of it and all that I need in God through Jesus Christ. And that is the same truth for every godly person. So I'll end with this. Sin never compares to the king of glory. It, it, it is nothing compared to that. And, and, and when your eyes are open to see that, you realize this is only killing and stealing and destroying from my life. Why would I want that? Why would I want this disease in my life? But Jesus died on the cross so that we can be forgiven and have an abundance of grace and peace and all of the joys and benefits of this remarkable life. But I want to remember this too, is that Jesus rose from the dead. He came out of that grave to prove to the world that he is stronger than even death. So now that not even dying can separate me from inheriting all of the promises of God that will someday be fulfilled in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. So now... Jesus and his Holy Spirit provides something vital that we need. And that is his Holy Spirit gives us the power to live a life that is absolutely free of sin. And so this is a gift to be here today. I thank you so much. I don't take it lightly that you chose to be here this morning. Um, I hope that you've been somehow blessed by this scripture and by these words and I want to say this, together, guys, we are the church of Christ, the body of Christ. Let us cheer each other on and spur each other on and encourage each other as we are living a life toward or getting our minds on Jesus and being godly people. Because simply stated, I believe this with all of my heart, life is entirely way too short to live it without God. Thank you, guys. So I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then uh, Tony's going to come back up. Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning. It is a privilege and an honor to be in your presence and enjoying all of the good fruits that come with who you are. And so, God, thank you that every heart and individual that's here today um, is alive. And I am grateful for everyone here today who loves you, and also for them to hear that they are loved greatly by you. God, and I pray that this time together was spent powerfully turning our hearts and inspiring us to press on to know you more and enjoy you and your presence pouring out of our lives as a light source in the darkness of the world and in the brokenness of the world, blessing and giving life. 
to all the individuals that are around us. I just pray that you overwhelmingly bless everybody here today with one thing. This is the only thing I ask today, Father, is bless them with yourself. Pour out your presence heavily and mightily on everyone here. We love you and thank you, Jesus. Amen.